Hello, welcome to Sisters in Colour. This is a new podcast about the amazing migrant women, their stories of their cultures, their faith, their resilience and ability to reinvent themselves professionally and personally in their adopted countries. Please join me on this journey of discovery of the richness, vibrancy and diversity of the multicultural women who choose to share their story. Today, I'm really honored and privileged to have an amazing young lady who I've watched actually grow up to be a phenomenal uh, woman. She actually used to babysit uh, my son. I've got a queer lovey brand, uh, also known as Christine, uh, in the studio with us today. Welcome, Akoya. Hi, thank you. Thanks for being with us today on Sisters in Colour. It's a, it's a pleasure to be on with you, Christine. Now, first of all, can you tell our listeners exactly where you are? Because we're interviewing you remotely by phone today. Um, so today I'm coming in from Miles, Queensland, which is about maybe three hours drive out of Toowoomba. So you are one of these fascinating young African women that I've been watching with so much pride um, as you take on this, um, you know, male-dominated area of engineering. Do you want to give us a bit of background as to what inspired you down this career path? Well, first of all, tell the studio audience what, what you do and what you studied at university. And then maybe after that, if you can let us know what, what inspired you to go down this path. So I am currently an electrical site engineer um, over on a project in oil and gas industry. To be honest, I don't even know what got me started on this path because in high school I had absolutely no interest in engineering whatsoever. I knew I loved maths, I loved science, I loved things that made sense to me basically, so... If you put one and two together, you should get three. And that's what I liked about the whole thing. So um, getting into engineering was not something that I saw myself doing, I guess. But my dad is a um, mining engineer. Um, And at the time when I was in high school, he was finished off his PhD and he was working. And every time we would have a conversation, it'll end up somewhere in the engineering world. And I guess it directed my eventual path towards engineering, but at the time I did not see it that way at all. Um, But I'm honestly glad that I did. I started first year thinking that I was going to do medical engineering because I was like, I love body movement and I don't particularly like the sight of blood. And so we'll just see how we can merge the two together, the love for math, science and biology. But it then turns to, I really don't want to deal with people in general. And so I went down the path of just math and science. But it turns out that full-time electrical engineering, you spend a lot of time dealing with people. You spend a lot of time talking to people, communicating. And it ended up being more so the stop. Skills. Like you still need the technical skills, don't get me wrong, mm-hmm. but the soft people skills are what has really helped me out on site and in any office anywhere. Just being able to communicate, being able to talk, being able to understand what people need and being able to make decisions has really helped me out. So don't be stuck in the math science world. Um, every industry requires human contact. And I guess that's how I got where I am now. 
That's really, really interesting. Now, I think one of the things that I'd like to explore is sort of when you were at university, for starters, how many uh, women uh, and women of colour were in uh, your class or in your cohort? How, what was the, the gender balance like when you were in university studying? Um, so in university studying, uh, there were maybe, like you would walk into a lecture room of, say, 500 students, and you might be one of maybe 25 or 25 to 40, I would say, women in the room. If you walked into the room that had more women than men, you were in the wrong room. You knew you had the wrong lecture room completely. Um, But women of colour, I do believe there were three of us at the time when I started studying. Um, It was women, sorry, women of African descent, I should say. So Not women of colour, women of African descent that I knew in the room. That you knew in the room. So there were other yeah. women from other multicultural backgrounds? There were backgrounds? other women from other multicultural backgrounds, yes. There were a lot from um, the islands, the Solomon Islands. There were oh, okay. lots of women from the Solomon Islands and there was also a lot from Asian backgrounds as well. But women from African descent, there was three of us in the room. And so with with that kind of mix where you're still in a minority, was there, you know, the sisterhood of you guys kind of sticking together, supporting each other to kind of get through all of that? Uh, did you um, mingle a lot with the guys? Like what was the interaction um, between you and your, uh, your uni mates? So I am very proud to say that our very first uni project, we had a group of six girls because we banded together from the start. Um, and we got the top mark for the class as well for that year. Um, we stuck together for a second term and then with different interests, some in civil, some in mechanical, some in electrical, mechatronics and whatnot, we had to break up. And so we then had to, I guess, mingle with others um, from the cohort that we had placed ourselves in. Um, so like, I didn't find it particularly challenging interacting with the male counterpart in any group project simply because you do the best you can they do the best they can it's group work you're meant to put your best foot forward and work together it's not a matter of my gender can do this my gender can't do this it's literally all in the books if you learn it you learn it if you don't you don't and that was it's always a um, I guess a flat ground we all started on the same level and it's just a matter of effort you put in and how willing you are to learn and learn quickly. So Yeah, no, and I totally agree with that. And so if, you know, as you say, Christine, it um, it's really that effort that you put in and your gender doesn't really count because, I mean, your, your, um, the marks don't know. So why is it that you think um, the numbers are so low in terms of, in terms of women getting into, into this space a bit more? Why do you think if, you know, based on your experience, it really is just about you doing, um, why about you doing the work? Why then are we still struggling with getting more young women into STEM and then more particularly more young African women into STEM careers? I think the struggle point comes from not letting people know early enough that these are career options that they can choose for themselves. Because in all honesty, where I work now, I could enter a room and be the only woman in, I don't know, a 50-kilometre radius for that particular, not 50 kilometers, 50 50-metre radius for that site. 
bike. It's such that sometimes you drive out and you might be the only woman you see for the entire project sometimes. And we see that because it's not an environment that you would, like women feel comfortable in, if that makes sense. It's long hours that you're working. Mm -hmm. Some people don't enjoy that. Like they, we have different preferences and it's not something that is really advertised towards women. And a lot of the time the culture is very blokey, very, um, what's it, tough guy, very got to be a strong man kind of thing. Use a lot of profanities to get your point across. Mm -hmm. And as a woman, you get a lot of apologies constantly whenever anything happens and it seems to be rude mm -hmm. um, with a lady present. And so I think it's more so about changing the mindset of the individuals who currently work in it and the individuals who will be stepping into the environment as well. So advertising to everyone, not just the men, but advertising to everyone from a young age in primary school, in prep, letting them play with Lego if they want to play with Lego, encouraging that aspect of building blocks, basically, which de and developing that interest early in people, because I honestly did not think about engineering until my dad suggested it to me. So it's not something that I would have thought for my... And even when I finished electrical engineering, this environment that I'm working in now is not something that I pictured for me. It was, I thought electrical engineering to finish, you work in an office and you just work in an office for your whole life. I didn't think that you could actually be involved in the planning and the construction and the commissioning, which is when you get to turn stuff on and make it work the way it's designed to work out on a site. Like I never thought about this as an option for me as well, because nobody told me about this. I had to stumble into this myself. And I think it's more so about getting that information out there, letting people know that it is an option and letting people know that it pays well, like, 19 days, yes, it's a struggle, but you get the value for the time that you spend here and you get time off as well. So it's win-win depending on the life that you want. So for me, it works. And I'm sure for a lot of other ladies, it'll work perfectly. Yeah. It's just a matter of getting the word out there. Yeah, and I, I agree. And I think um, a part of, uh, you know, wanting me really wanting to talk to you is to really get the word out there that, look, you know, this is a career option for, for young women uh, to to aspire to. How do you think the options change, though, uh, for women as they evolve? And I'm going to ask you to extrapolate a bit because I know in terms of, you know, the stage of life that you're at, you're still very much in your infancy in terms of your career development. But given that, you know, you do um, a fly-in, fly-out uh, role, you have said like you're 19 days on and nine days off. So 19 days on means, you know, you're, you're away from family for quite a long period of time. How would you see yourself as maybe in a different stage where you're looking to maybe settle, start a family? Do you see that with the current job that you've got, you would be able to make to make that work and what would what supports would be needed to be in place to help you um, and really support you to make that work? Um, so to be 100% honest, that was one of the very first things I thought about literally in my first week on site when I graduated three years ago. As soon as I got out, I was just like, okay, right now I am one of the only, well, I was the one technical woman that they had on site. So we had other women on site, 
but I was in a technical role. And one of the first questions I asked was, how long can I do this for? Because I don't see a lady pregnant. I do not see a married woman. And if they are married, they're having marriage issues of some sort. Um, and I was just like, how long can I honestly do this kind of work for before I have to leave? Because my potential husband might not agree with my chosen lifestyle. But the more, the longer I've been in the industry and the more women that I've spoken to, I've found that you can make a relationship work whilst doing fly in, fly out. Mm-hmm. You can be pregnant on site. Um, we've got a lady currently in um, our team who is about seven months along, mm-hmm. and she is still in and out every day for 19 days straight. Mm-hmm. She has been doing this. And so it gives you the, I guess, a change in perspective that, firstly, that there are men out there who are supportive, or there are partners out there, I should say, who are supportive of their partners choosing this lifestyle, if this is the life that they want for themselves and this is the experience that they want for themselves. So there are partners who can be supportive of my decision to be on site. And two, it is possible to be pregnant out on site Mm -hmm. and work up until maternity leave starts Mm -hmm. and then I can take the time off. There is still a need for um, corporate companies to um, be more supportive of or be more, I don't know the right word here, Mm -hmm. but it's more so once you've had a child, the work-life balance. I do know my company does really well at that, but I have heard of companies that um, either cut off the lady completely or they give them leave for the time and then when they want to come back it's like your role has been filled so you need to reapply and all that jazz so I think that managing a life further along um, whether it's relationships marriage kids and that it really depends on one yourself and your preferences to your chosen partner who really determines a lot of the things that you can and cannot do. And so it's a big decision and you need to really think about that. And three, the company that you choose to work for, because if your company does not support your choices for your life, then you need to find a company that does or you need to adjust to suit what the company wants or you start your own, whatever is suitable to you. So... That and makes a lot of sense. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. And I like the last part, you know, if 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 you're not invited to the table. I, I, I heard a saying when Tyler Perry built his studio in uh in Atlanta, the saying was, Well, if you're not invited to the table and you're gonna be bickering about X, Y, and Z, I'm just gonna go over here and build my own table with my own rules. Yep. And, and yep. just basically get on with it rather than trying it. to to squeeze myself at your table. What's interesting to me is um the topic that you brought up about what corporates need to do. And part of what I'm really passionate about uh and my consultancy is really passionate about is educating um corporates about being more diverse and being more inclusive and I guess if uh, you know we've just had International Women's Day and it's still going marches um, you know the celebration of um, the girl child the celebration of all things female and I think one of the the the, the key deterrents that you've brought up is um, the lack of support from a corporate um, from a corporate perspective and one of the things I'm incredibly 
passionate about and really have been thinking about is that, you know, it's great for all these statistics, um, you know, more women in STEM, more women in the boardroom, more women in male-dominated industry. But what is the counter cost of, of, of achieving all of that? And how do we get true uniform, true balance so that we get true equity? So we're not necessarily robbing Peter to pay Paul. Um, yep. um, for want of a better word. So you talked a yep. bit, I'm interested in getting to understand a bit about, you know, your company and having a pregnant woman um, on site. What accommodations have they put in place for that? Because I would imagine, you know, in terms of like a shift, for example, I mean, the body can only take what the body can take. And when you're growing a human being, I've grown one, it's not the easiest of processes. So what accommodations has like your organization put in place? to to support and allow um, that kind of environment because that would be very inviting to to more women to be in that sector. So what's in place to support you when you're pregnant? In all honesty, I don't know the full details, Mm -hmm. but I do know that through discussions with, I know of two ladies. One Mm -hmm. was on a road job, one is on our project. The one on the road job had an agreement where she had flexible working hours. Mm -hmm. So I know for sure she was working probably seven days a week for an extended period of time. But then some weeks she would not be working. And her position was not like 19 days on, nine days off. It was a completely different role where it was a nine to five kind of job. So she was office based. But she wanted to work weekends some weeks and not work Thursday, Fridays or uh, weekends or whatever other days, some other weeks. And so and was allowed to fit in her appointments and um, all the I don't know. I don't actually know what mothers go through Mm -hmm. during the pregnancy stage, but anything that she needed was fitted in based on the schedule that she had built for herself. Okay. And all that happens is you have a discussion with your manager, you let them know what you want, and then it's adjusted in the system to suit, basically. So you've so, got a corporate work culture that actually supports that diversity yeah. and inclusion because but, for you to have that discussion with your manager, the corporate culture needs to actually allow that to take place. Yes. Yeah, then we definitely do have that okay. because you can't, like, there were some days where we're like, where is this person? Like, oh, it's on her rostered day off, mm-hmm. even though for the rest of us, it's a normal day on. So we saw that flexibility in her schedule. And there were some times where she'll let us know in advance, hey, I'm not coming in because of this, this and this. Mm-hmm. And it was open communication, which fosters growth. Like if you know in advance, you can plan around it, which means that the business doesn't suffer whilst you're away if that makes sense so it's not it doesn't impact negatively on anything and it all comes through communication and having that open relationship with your manager open that was that that is the right word but having that open relationship with your manager and being able to talk Mm -hmm. when you need to and speaking up um that's one thing that my company really reinforces speaking up when you need help and speaking up when you see something wrong so um, it's, I think it all comes through company culture. And if you, don't, um, if you don't encourage it and if you don't try to enforce it in a way by asking your people to ask questions or asking your people questions so that you know that they have understood what their rights are and what their obligations are under those rights, then it's, 
you don't foster that open conversation and open relationship. So it, it's from top down and it's also from bottom from bottom up. up. So it's, yeah, two-way street. It's definitely a two-way street. And I think as women, we tend to, to want to have more open communication and more platforms to talk. You know, I know for myself, um, personally, whenever I've had an issue, I want to talk it out. And and guys just want to go to, you know, logic and, and solutions. So I think having a culture where you, you foster dialogue and you actually um, allow that openness, I think, already that's that's really an a kind of an inclusive um, culture I just want to go back to something you raised a bit earlier which was that your father was your biggest inspiration and he actually you know talked to you about you know going down this career path that you're on so coming from an African uh, background is that really commonplace uh, from from based on your experience and what you know of the community where you know a dad is um, you know encouraging his baby girl is essentially to go into what is traditionally a male-dominated um, environment and very aggressive uh, career path. Uh, how has been sort of, how have you seen, how can you sort of compare your experience um, within your context of your family to, I guess, what you see in the broader, in the broader community? Um, so my dad is one very special man. Um, I will put that out there anyway. And I don't say that because he is my dad. I say that because everyone else tells me that my dad is one special man. He sees opportunity when you don't see it. And he will speak up and let his opinion be known when it's good for you. And also when it's potentially bad for you. But he wants you to test out yourself before you say, no, I can't do that, or yes, I can do that. So he always pushes you to have a go. And I have always been that child, no joke. Before I do anything, before I tell my parents anything, I would have tested it out and I would have had the plan in place, so from start date through to the next three months, and I'll always have a mitigation plan. This is across everything, what I'm studying, where I'm traveling to, what hobbies I feel like having, what items I feel like purchasing, like literally anything. So I've always been that child that presents an idea and a backup to that idea. So when I went to my parents with, oh, I'll be doing fly and fly out, my dad, honestly, I sat, we had the sit down talk and he advised. And then he also, he also mentioned the bad side of the industry and the hearsay side of the industry. And he mentioned as well that he knows I'm resilient. I'll give everything a go. But what I get out is dependent on what I put in. So if I go in with the mindset that this is going to be crappy, this is going to be not an environment I want to put myself in, that is exactly what I'll get out of it. But if I go in with an open mind, willing to put in the hard work, willing to do whatever it takes for my experience to be a positive one, I will gain a positive experience out of it. And even if it's negative at the end, I will know that this experience, I tried my best and this is the result I got, which means that this is not for me or this is for me if it was a positive experience. So in all honesty, like I don't know, I, I, I think I still, I'm not sure if dad pushed me into the industry, but it was because of his role and his experience and his knowledge and the fact that he was literally an open walking library in the house that I could ask anything at any time and bounce ideas off. That was the reason I entered the industry. But the work 
in the industry. Like once you're there, I'm not here with my mum or my dad. <laughs> That's true. I look after myself. So yes. the experience I want out of it is based off what I put in it, not so much what they have told me to put in it or what they are putting in it. Like dad honestly said, grade one, we walked you to school. Grade two, we walked you to school. Grade three, we started dropping you halfway. Grade four, you walk by yourself. Grade five, you walk by yourself. And you'll keep walking by yourself till you can't walk by yourself anymore. And then we'll help you if you need direction. But the steps you take, they show the way. And it's up to you to honestly take it if you want it. And if you don't, leave it and find your own way. But whatever it is, the effort you put in is what you get out of it. No, that is true. That is true. I want to hear a little bit about your work-life balance. So what do you do for fun? <laughs> this year I have zero fun um, mm-hmm. or everything I do has to be for fun. Um, so I, I've i started studying a master's this year. Mm-hmm. And I also, with my Instagram page, I'm looking at supporting small businesses through either photo shoots or modeling for them or um, doing marketing and PR on their behalf. Mm-hmm. I've also started a um, side hustle that I call Brunch and Gold, which is teaching you all the things that uni doesn't teach you. So your finances, um, managing money, um, no one teaches you tax returns. No one teaches you what to do with your first pay slip or thereafter. Um, and then emotional intelligence. No one really told me that working is going to require so much human interaction when I chose to study in engineering. And conflict management, no one teaches you, but you need that as a life skill. Communication, no one teaches you, but you need that as a life skill. So um, that's what I do through Bunch and Goals. And I am really passionate about helping people be the best version of themselves. Um, and then this year as well, I decided to go public with my sewing um, so I can make dresses, skirts, and crop tops, and I've decided to let people know that. So I am currently booked out till end of May with orders, and so I have zero free time, but I thoroughly enjoy sewing, and I thoroughly enjoy catching up with people and coaching people. So brunch and goals are my, I guess, what I do with my spare time because I enjoy empowering people, and coffee conversations are the best. And sewing relaxes me. So I honestly enjoy completing people's orders. So that is what I do with my spare time at the moment. So you are quite um, the melting pot of talent there. You are an engineer. You are a um, a teacher, a trainer, a life coach, um, a support um, and an advocate uh, for, for, for women, for young girls. And you sew. Um, like, you know, that's a breath of, of, of creativity. So, you know, when we see you in your uh, fluorescent colored, um, you know, um, work suits there, and then we see you over the, um, the, the, the sewing machine, that's quite a juxtaposition of, of, of different talents uh, and different sides uh, of you. Now, do you find that when you're in the sewing um, frame or you're doing some of those softer skills, do you find you still you're using the same parts of your brain? you you know um you say so you love sewing it relaxes you so are you using that more as kind of your downtime to i'm just trying to work out how you balance all these multitudes of talents that you have so the sewing relaxes me but i find the cutting of the fabric very stressful mm-hmm. because the matte side of me wants it to be symmetrical mm-hmm. um 
I do find that I do use, like when I'm on the machine, I am relaxed. Mm -hmm. There is no thought that could cross my head that could stress me out. Mm -hmm. But um, I guess at work, it's a very different framework. Work is constantly go, go, go. Mm-hmm. And you always have to be on the ball. So it's a completely different side of the brain. But I do find that the communication side of things always comes into play, regardless of where I am. If I'm on the machine, I need to let my family, my siblings know, hey, this is my time. I need to put my phone away to say, no one's disturbing me. This is my peace. This is my relaxation. And by communicating that, they know not to disturb me. Similarly, at work, whenever any issues come up, I still need to use that communication side to say, this is the plan, this is our strategy, this is what we're going to do, and this is the reason why we're going to do it. So even though it might look good technically on a piece of paper with all the drawings and the symbols, you still need to be able to explain it to someone so that they understand exactly what the objective is, what they need to get done, and what the end result should be by the time they finish. So regardless, soft skills are applicable everywhere. Um, And they do use different parts of the brain, but I feel like sometimes it crosses over. Yeah, no, excellent. Well, before I ask my final question, uh, Christine, can you let people know uh, where they can find you? Like you've mentioned, you know, a couple of Instagram pages and things like that. Could you please let our viewers know if they want to follow more of the things that you do, uh, where they can find all of that? Me, normally, if you are in an emergency and you need me, you can find me on akria.labi on Instagram. I respond faster than calls and text messages on there. Um, so that is akria.labi. I'm also on um, Brunch and Goals. So that's Brunch and the A-N-D, Goals, uh, on Instagram as well. And then my sewing is Handmade X Akria Labi. So it's Handmade X. A queer lobby with no dot, just full word, one word. And that's it. Excellent. So um, my final question to you, if you were to to change anything, to impact anything in the world, what would it be and why? That is a big question and that is a hard question because if I had my way, a lot of things would be different in the world. But there's only so much we can do as tiny as we are in the world. So I think... If I had my way, I would every single day have a positive impact on the people that I am blessed to be surrounded by and to make their lives easier and better however I could. That is, if I had my way in my own little small world. If I could eradicate poverty, I would. If I could abolish racism and sexism and everything else-ism, I would. Um, but we can't do everything. So in my little way, I would like to be able to impact the world that I am blessed to be in, wherever that may be. Excellent. Thank you so much for joining us all the way from Miles, which is um, some four hours outside of uh, Toowoomba. I'd really like to thank you for being our guest today on Sisters in Colour. We've really learned a lot about engineering. We've learned a lot about electrical engineering, fly in, fly out, and how it's definitely an option uh, for for women. And it's definitely um, a career pathway that you can have at all stages in your life. So I'd like to Thank you, Aquia, for being on this call with us and thank you for taking time out. I know you've had a really, really busy day today and you've had a long day. So really appreciate you jumping on this uh, podcast with us this evening. 
Thank you so, so much for having me. And I just want to say, like, if anyone out there is thinking about anything at all, it doesn't even have to be engineering, just give it a go. Like, you don't know if you can or can't do it until you try. So just give it a go and see where it goes. But, Christine, thank you so much for having me on tonight. Um, Sisters in Colour is such an incredible initiative, and we're so blessed to have that. Um, I think there's a lot of us who need it, and it's It'll be great to hear more and more and more and more people on this, to hear their stories and to hear the impacts that they're having in the world. Excellent. Thank you so much, Christine. And you go and rest now. Thanks so much for your time. Have a good night. Same to you. This podcast is being recorded and produced at Brisbane Podcasting Centre. You can reach out to Sisters in Colour on our social media pages and on our website, Migrant Women in Business. You can also find us on Facebook and LinkedIn. This is Christine Mudavanu. Thanks for listening to Sisters in Colour.